Coming to you live from the VIC Radio Studios in Ithaca, New York, it's the Asman and Budick Show. Here are your hosts, Jake Asman and Dan Budick. And a good evening, everyone. This is indeed the Asman and Budick Show. I'm Jake Asman. As always, alongside Dan Budick, packed house in the VIC Radio Studios tonight. We have two different film crews here making this all happen, so we'll get the Facebook Live going if you're listening on radio in a little while. But a great Sunday it was. It was a Sunday at the Masters, a tradition unlike any other, as Jim Nance and everyone who's a golf nut always has to say. But it was really a phenomenal sports weekend. Mets in action right now. We'll keep you up to date on that as we go along. Mets trying to salvage the final game of a three-game set against the Miami Marlins. Right now, the Mets are up 4-2 to in the bottom of the sixth inning. Yankees played earlier today. They finally got a win over the Baltimore Orioles, and they will head home tomorrow for opening day against the Tampa Bay Rays at Yankee Stadium. So all in all, a nice end to the weekend for the Yankees, and we'll touch plenty on the baseball as we go along. But Dan, before we really dive in, it was 65 degrees today, 70 degrees almost. I don't even know how warm it was, but it was warm. I think it felt great today. Oh, it was, and you know, it's about time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hopefully in the next week or so. It's it sounds like you were partying a little bit too much <laughs> of the warm weather. But uh, hopefully it uh, it warms up and we get a nice week here as uh, April unfolds and we get into baseball season. Week started, season started last week. It's very exciting times. And it was exciting for Sergio today. He didn't choke. I'm not a big golf guy. We don't really cover that much golf on this show. A year ago we had on Jimmy Roberts of of NBC Sports to talk about Jordan Spieth's collapse, and I thought that we were headed towards maybe another Masters collapse with Sergio Garcia today. He missed that putt that could have won it on the 18th hole. It would have been all over. They go to a playoff, Sergio Garcia and Justin Rose. And I'm, we're not big golf guys, but we were locked in. It was cool to see. And it all came down to a one-hole playoff. And our producer, Jake Chernock, is screaming that we're not golf guys. But here's the thing. It was compelling television. And for everyone who does not like Sergio Garcia or thought he was going to choke, you kept waiting for it to happen. It never did. And it ended up being a fantastic finish. And he birdies the playoff hole, and he ended up winning his first major and his, of course, first ever Masters. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned J- Jake Chernock was uh, kind of giving us a hard time before because you, you mentioned we were locked in, but we were locked in on the final hole and the playoff, Jake. We were locked in. We enjoyed it. Yeah, Jake, the whole time you were saying how boring it was. It, I do find it. It was pretty it. boring until you get to like the last couple of holes of we a playoff. Do, we we do, when you're sitting in the playoff, you're like, oh, this is so boring. Well, it's well, my so issue, long. my issue. And we it did take it. long. You can't tell me it didn't take long. Between the end of the 18th hole and the start it, of the playoffs, it, like 30, it took forever. It was like 30 minutes. It builds the drama. It builds the drama. I get it. But it, for my liking, personally, also, it was a little too long. I'll never get those minutes back in my yeah, life. But it was fun to watch when they were actually... You know, when they were actually playing, that was fun. And the playoff was it was definitely fun on the 18th hole this afternoon. You've had worse uses of your time, Jake. It, it, listen, I, I, you, you love it. I, you know, I appreciate it because you, you're it. A, Jake Chernock, our producer, as many of you know, diehard. No one can even hear show. him because he's so far away from the mic. You, you keep engaging with him, and he's nowhere near a microphone. But he's but he's a diehard master. Uh, yeah, we, we, he loves golf, and today golf was very popular. It was important. And now when we wait for the next major. We'll watch it then. We'll follow along. But for me as a golf fan, this is where I always come back to you know, my interest in golf. When Tiger Woods was in his heyday and he was playing in a major, you're locked in. You're compelled. You want to tune in. I think golf has a major problem that they don't have these stars that you want to see. I know you have a Jordan Spieth, but no one is like a Tiger Woods and what he was able to do for golf. When Tiger Woods was in a tournament, I don't care what type of sports fan you are, you were interested, you were going to watch. No, you're right, and I think golf needs to get back to that point, but... You know, there is there are a lot of compelling players. I mean, Justin Rose and Sergio Garcia put on a real clinic. They are. They're they're great players. Rory's a great player. Uh, people love all these young guys that are coming through. 
But I just it's tough for me as a as a non golf fan to get locked into it today. At the end, it was a little boring, a little long layoff, but I did watch. Did I not sit with you and I watched the whole thing? So we watched the entire 18th we, hole, the playoff, and, and I, of course, really from 15 on, I was, I was into it. I was watching. And you know what? We said on Thursday, and when Jake uh, Chernock asked me, and he probably asked you too, are you going to watch the Masters? I said, on the 18th hole on Sunday, <laughs> or the playoff, I watch. And with the 18th hole today, I was watching and w- along with the playoff. It was great. And listen... To me, when I watch a golf tournament and people go nuts over Augusta, this is as a non-golf fan. I know I don't want to offend all you golf diehards out there. It, to me, it just looks like a bunch of grass out there. All right, I know it's Augusta; it's beautiful, the whole thing. It was just a bunch of grass. Jim you know? Nance was great. Jim though. Nance is always great, that? but he is unbelievable for golf. The Jim Nance whisper. It, it's, but it's, is there anything better in sports than that? I'll give you that, Jake Turnock. Jim Nance calling golf, calling the Masters, the 18th hole, the whisper. Well, I will say that, nothing. Nothing I, better than that. I said this yesterday. Jim Nance's voice over the Masters music is what a, a lullaby that I want to be going to sleep by every night. I thought it was that. It's that beautiful to listen to. And his post game interview with Sergio was great. He has to put on the jacket, the whole thing. He sits down with them. That's peak Jim Nance. While we love Jim Nance, we talk about him on the show, especially the past couple of weeks with, of course, Mars Madness, and he called the national championship game. Now he's doing the Masters. Just remember, I have to say this, I always say it Jim Nance has a picture of burnt toast in his wallet. So as you were watching him today and listening to his soothing voice, just know that man has a picture of burnt toast in his wallet. Always, I will never understand that. And a side note, while we're so talking about Jim Nance, pocket today at the Masters. that's what I'm saying. Presumably. On a side note, you know how he always gives his tie to someone in the Final Four? He didn't do it this year, and we don't know why. Was he asked about yeah, it? I, I haven't so seen he anything. he his tie out to the – who was the tournament MVP this year? Uh, I don't, there wasn't any clear guy. It would have to be someone on UNC. And he didn't give the tie away? He didn't give the tie away this year. I didn't even think about it. I thought it was a given. What was his reason that he didn't give the tie? I want to know. I'm going to Google it he right now. He wasn't asked about it? He had to have been asked about it at some point. I'm shocked. But point being, Jim Nance burned toast in the wallet the whole thing. But he is a phenomenal broadcaster. He did a great job today. As an I'm golf fan, Jim Nance, you tune in for him because he's, he's, he's great to watch. He is. He was, and the Masters was fun to watch this weekend. You know, like, I'm not getting up at 7 in the morning on Thursday and, and Friday to watch, but, you know, like I said, Sunday, 18th hole, and the playoff, I'm locked in you, like, like anyone. You know what I love about golf fans? Yeah, they go nuts on the, the great sportsmanship that they were demonstrated when they, they're giving was, each other high there fives. Was great sportsmanship between Rose and Garcia. That, does that get you excited? Great sportsmanship? No, but it's nice to see. I think I think there's something nice about two guys that respect each other as competitors and going against each other when the stakes are very high. Respect the biz. You gotta res- you gotta respect the clubs, as Jake Chernock would say. Yeah, respect. Right? <laughs> you gotta respect the clubs. So all in all, quick other Masters thoughts. Sergio wins. A lot of people don't like him. Too bad he won. He almost blew it. We're gonna move on. And he almost. Blew and a it. year from now, we're we gonna remember that Sergio won the Masters. I didn't even remember who won the previous year. Who was it? Danny Willett. Danny Willett. Danny Willett. Danny Willett. And the year before was Jordan Spieth. Yeah, there you go. Spieth, who, by the way, final point on this, Spieth, he found water again on that twelfth hole, the same hole he found water in a year ago. So Jordan Spieth, who looked like he was making a run earlier in the day, kind of fell apart right before it was starting to get interesting on that twelfth hole. What are you going to do? You can't, you can't predict golf. You can't. Can't do it. And I'll tell you what, until Tiger Woods is back to being Tiger Woods, which may never happen, 
I'm not going to be that locked in. But today I was. I'll give you that, Jake. Today I was. I was locked in to some of the Masters. And you know what I just realized? It's 10-10. We've been talking about the Masters for 10 minutes. This is the most we've talked about golf probably since last year's Masters. There you so go. There you go. There you go. So making some history here here on BIC tonight. If you want to talk Masters, 607-274-1842. Talk Masters with guys who don't know anything about the Masters. Feel free to chime in. Let's get to some baseball now, though. We're watching the Met game. I, I forget what inning they're in right now. I know someone just hit a home run. Was it Michael Comforto that had a home run yeah, for the Mets? Comforto homered 5-2 heading into the 7th. So end of the 6th inning there. Mets are up 5-2. Need a win. It's still early, but it'd be an important important win. You got your ace on the mound and you gifted him a three-run lead earlier. You want to try and hold on and win this game. And similar situation only in reverse for the Yankees today. They were down 3 nothing in this one and instead of you know just kind of doing nothing and once again struggling with runners in scoring position, they did that. And then finally Ronald Torres got a go in today offensively. He had a triple to score two runs. And Aaron Judge had his biggest hit as a Yankee tying the game up with a home run late in the game. And all of a sudden, the Yankees kind of took a, a sigh of relief. They found a way to get this victory. And it was a pretty brutal road trip for the Yankees. They finished 2-4 and four going back home tomorrow. But today was a pretty big win. CeCe pitched well, and get this, the first time a New York Yankees starter pitched into the sixth inning today. That's the state of the Yankees starting rotation right now. Tanaka has not been great. He pitched yesterday, only went five innings, three runs, and really labored. CeCe has been great in both of his starts. And as of right now, CeCe Sabathia really looks like he's figured out how to pitch with less velocity. Kind of looks a lot like Andy Pettit did at the end of his career. And he's been fun to watch. So I give a lot of credit for how he pitched today. And it's about time the Yankees offense kind of woke up and shown some life. They blew it open in the ninth inning, and they end up winning this one 7-3. to And you mentioned Judge. And I think now with Sanchez out for a little while, they're going to really need Judge to, to pick up some of the slack offensively. So excellent signs of Judge taking the taking the ball deep out of the ballpark and you know he kind of got some flack last year Judge didn't get off to the best start kind of struggled with the strikeouts a little bit I think Judge is, is going to be a real good major leaguer I know we've talked about it on the show a couple times so you got to look for Judge to be kind of that offensive uh, spark plug for the Yankees now with Judge out and what a big loss Judge is I mean excuse me Sanchez is you know, with the year he had last year coming off uh, when he got called up, big expectations. Hopefully he's not out for a long period of time, but I know early on in the season, the last thing any team wants to do is one of their best young players to have to sit on the sideline for an extended period of time. Everything was just snowballing for this team quickly, and they got off to a bad start a year ago. They started, I think it was you know 9-17 and 17 a year ago. They can't have that again. This team is not good enough to come out of a hole that deep. So, yeah, you could say, hey, it's only six games in, they're 2-4, and four, but 2-4 and four is a lot better than 1-5, especially when you're going back home, and you mentioned Gary Sanchez, they lose him, so how are they going to try and replace his production long-term? Well, first off, you hope it's not long-term, and second, you need some of these young guys to start hitting. Greg Bird, who should be in the lineup tomorrow, he's got to get going. He's a guy they're heavily relying on. And you look at this Yankees team, there's guys in this lineup that have potential that need to hit. Chase Headley's been a lot better this year. Ellsbury did a great job as a pinch runner today. He's a guy that needs to hit. I've been really impressed with Matt Holliday. He was great today. Didn't have an official at bat, but he's the first Yankee since Mark Teixeira in 2009 to walk five times in the game. So Matt Holliday today did a great job getting on base. And Ronald Torres filling in for Didi Gregorius. He's been really good. He had that big hit today. Torres had three hits total for the game. They have guys that need to play well for them to stand a chance without Gary Sanchez. But However, if he's out long term, Term. They're not good enough to overcome that, but it doesn't appear it's going to be anything longer than maybe you know the 10-day DL, maybe a little after that. So the Yankees got a break there, if you even want to call it a break. 
But this team has major holes in their rotation, so they got to hit. And when their bullpen blows games on Friday and Saturday like they did uh, the past two days against Baltimore, you know, those are all games you're going to look back on. You start scratching your head. You can't blow games when you have leads because, you know, a lot of times this pitching may not be good enough to get you some of these leads. So it's been very frustrating early on as a Yankee fan. Thank God they won today and they go back home 2-4. and And this is the type of Yankees team where they're not built at the point where they can overcome many mistakes. And you mentioned it in the rotation and in the bullpen especially the bullpen. They cannot afford the bullpen to be blowing any games. That has to be a strong point over the course of 162 games for this team because of their you know, lack of arms in the rotation. I mean, Tanaka, 11.74 ERA through his first two starts. They need him to pitch more like he did last year because we even talked about this during spring training. If Tanaka is not pitching like a number one starter, it's going to be tough for the Yankees to compete at all this year. He needs to be a given. He has to. You know, he's their only given in their rotation. And you could say, well, CeCe's proving himself for the second straight year. That's true, but CeCe Sabathia is not an ace at this point in his career. He's a guy that if he goes out there and gives you six innings, two or three runs to start, you'll gladly take that. Tanaka needs to be shut down. He wasn't shut down on Saturday, and the Yankees are no longer in a position where they're going to be able to score a million runs. They're going to have some growing pains with some of these young guys in their lineup. You know, Excuse me, you know, Greg Bird, if he doesn't hit, you know, all of a sudden, where are you getting the production from, uh, you know, your corner infielder, your power first baseman? They need his production. They need him to hit close to 30 home runs for them to be competitive. And with no Gary Sanchez in the lineup and you're already without Didi Gregorius, guys got to be productive. And that's why it was so frustrating the past two nights. The Yankees had leads and they blew them both times. Not good enough, but I was happy Dylan Batances bounced back today. He was terrific in his ending of work. He came in and did his job. So the Yankees, you know, they are what they are at this point. They need to continue to get solid starting pitching. Pineda goes tomorrow. Can he bounce back after an atrocious first start to the year, or is it going to be the same old Michael Pineda that, you know, gets you through the first couple innings, then implodes and gives up five runs, and the Yankees will not be good enough to come back from that? They need to get consistent starting pitching. We've always talked about it, but what needs to be a given is their bullpen, and that's what was so frustrating two of the first three games of the series because they blew leads they should have won. And you mentioned Michael Pineda, and he's been the type of guy since he's been traded over here from Seattle for Jesus Montero, what, in 2011, 2012? He is a guy that just has been looked at times really good, electric, lights-out type of stuff. And you know what? Other times, more often than not, he's just not effective. He can't get outs. And really, it seems like he gets one or two outs in an inning, and then he implodes. And there's two outs and nobody on, and next thing you know, the bases are loaded, and he gives up the bases-clearing double or something. That, like that, that trade has been bad for both sides. Seattle got Jesus Montero. and the I don't Yankees. Even think he's in the major leagues. Yeah, he's not. Unbelievable, and he was their top prospect. And meanwhile, the Yankees either had Gary Sanchez as a 19-year-old at the time, so it worked out in that sense. But, I mean, you look at this Yankees team, Michael Pineda, he should not be given a starting spot, but the state of their pitching staff, he was just given the number three spot without even thinking of it. Didn't even have to compete for it in spring training, and he was abysmal last year. I'm nervous tomorrow because as a Yankee fan, you know, the stadium's going to be sold out tomorrow. It's going to be a beautiful day. It's supposed to be about 75 degrees in the Bronx. You want them to pitch well. You want the Yankees to start off the homestand well. The Yankees have 15 of their next 21 games coming up at home. This is a huge homestand for them. They have to continue to build off what they did today and get better from a starting pitching rotation. And offensively, they should be able to score enough. That bullpen has to be locked down. It was in the past two days. You hope it's a bit of an aberration and they can they can continue to pitch like they did at the beginning of the season against Tampa and, of course, all last year when they had arguably the best bullpen in the league. And this is the question I'm going to pose to you, Jake. Where we are, where the Yankees starting pitching is at this point in the season early on, but if it continues to struggle like it is and Tanaka's not... At the, not a given like we talked about, and Pineda struggles, and CeCe, you know, uh, 
you know, is not necessarily as effective as he's been his first two starts. Would Brian Cashman trade for a starting pitcher in some capacity to add some depth and some arms? Not talking about an ace. I'm not talking about a Chris Sale type of guy. I'm talking about depth guys that can just give Joe Girardi some options. So you mentioned you don't have to keep throwing Pineda out there. I think you have to look into it. The thing with the Yankees, they have so many different prospects. No one's saying you trade you know, your top guys and bring in a Jose Quintana right now. But if you're in a position where you're just missing maybe a solid starting pitcher, a number two or a number three, that could be the difference in your season, you have to consider it. It's too early. You obviously, guys got to go through their rotation, pitching their spots a couple more times. But we knew this was going to be an issue. We didn't think Tanaka would be this bad. So he has to bounce back and pitch like the guy that was in the Cy Young conversation a year ago. But Pineda, I think, is what he is at this point. He's going to be good, and more, more times than not, he's going to be bad. He's an issue. Luis Severino, I thought, on Friday, didn't pitch as bad as his line would indicate he did. But he's another guy that's always, you know, he looks great, then he has a rough inning. He's got to settle down and give them consistent starts. A lot of question marks in that rotation. It just stinks that a guy like Gary Sanchez, arguably their most important and their best player already at this point in his young career, He's down for an extended period of time, we think. It could be 10 days, could be more than that. could be, you know, at least April 19th is the earliest he'd be able to come back. But Joe Girardi says he may, he thinks that it could be a little bit more after that. So how long is he going to be out for? We don't know. But that's a huge loss for this team that really needs Gary Sanchez in the middle of that lineup producing. Especially with all the hype and how good he was last year. It's so early in the season. You and he had a to bomb see, on you, Friday, you too. You to see Gary Sanchez early in the season. I think, you know, all the Yankee fans are going to be disappointed opening day tomorrow that he that he's not penciled in a catcher for the Yankees. Fifth starter is concerned. Have they announced a fifth starter yet? It has not been announced. They don't need one yet. But I, I think it will end up being Jordan Montgomery. I think that's who they're going to go with. They started them in single A just to keep them you know, down in a warm temperature because there were some rain delays going on in the Trenton area, so they didn't want to start him in double A or put him in scranton Wilkesbury. He's on track to still pitch when the Yankees would have their fifth spot in the rotation come up. I think he earned the job in spring training. He's pitched well in single A and his one start so far. So I think he'll be the fifth starter. But, you know, you can't ask your fifth starter to be great. Anything they get from him will be a bonus, I'd, I'd say, at this point. Well, that's the problem is you're putting a guy out there that's never pitched before in the major leagues, and you already have a weak rotation. So, you know, unfortunately for the Yankees, they're just going to have to find a way to patch in that middle of the rotation. they got to win games with their bullpen and, and do just enough on offense. They did that today. They scored four runs in the ninth inning. It was, it was unbelievable what we were watching. And the biggest thing with this Yankees team – they they're, they get into an extended losing streak. They don't have the pitching. If they lose Tanaka's first start, well, all of a sudden you got CeCe. Then you got Pineda. You know, where are you getting that guy that could end the losing streak, that stopper? You know, where where is that guy? It should be Tanaka, but if they lose Tanaka's starts and they've lost the first two so far this year, you know, where is that guy coming on the rotation? It's been CeCe so far, but I don't think it's fair to CeCe to expect him to pitch like he's 2009 CeCe Sabathia again. He is what he is at this point. He's pitched really well, but there's going to be some times where CeCe can only give you six innings and probably give you, you know, three runs. That's probably where you're going to get more times than not from him. A lot of question marks in the Yankee rotation, and it starts at the top. Tanaka, who we thought, given coming into this season, had a successful season and was lights out in spring training. He didn't give up an earned run in spring training, and he's gotten off to such a poor start in the first two starts of the season. The Yankees need him. He's got to pitch well. 607-274-1842. It's the Asbin and Budick Show. We're on until midnight. When we come back, we'll talk to you about the Mets. Right now, the Mets playing some baseball on Sunday Night Baseball. Mets up 5-7. to seven. Or five to two, excuse me, in the bottom of the seven. So we'll talk about the bets. We'll talk about the start to their season and so much more. We're on till midnight. We'll be right back here on the Asman and Budic Show. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. 
TuneIn Radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. The MVP debate in the National Basketball Association, I think, has to be over. I think at this point, I've been saying for months, I think Russell Westbrook should get I it if he averages a triple-double. And I know there's arguments for Kawhi and, the, oh, you can give it to LeBron every year. That's true. And I know the big argument is over James Harden. If you really look at it, it might be having a better year because he plays on a better team. I just think when you look at Russell Westbrook, what he's been able to do on a team that was not expected to be a playoff team, they're right in the middle of the of the Western Conference as the five or the six seed. I think what the Thunder have been able to do is incredible. They don't have great shooters on their team, so the fact that he's averaging a triple-double and getting all those assists, I think is a testament to how great of a player and how great of a season Russell Westbrook is. And plus, if you look at the statistics, the Thunder are like 33-9 and nine when Westbrook has a triple-double. So they need him to have a triple-double for them to win, I just think it's silly to try and discredit what Russell Westbrook's doing. He's having a phenomenal season, and if he doesn't win the MVP and someone else gets it, I'd be very disappointed because, A, he didn't get a chance to start the All-Star game, which was ridiculous, and, B, what more do you want from this guy? This team was not supposed to be good, and here he is averaging a triple-double. It's been done one other time, and it was back in 1962. I mean, people, come on. Absolutely. 1962 is a long time ago, and the game of basketball is completely different than it was way back when over 50 years ago. I've been saying it for months. We've been saying it for months. We've talked about it on this program for months. Russell Westbrook is the MVP of the National Basketball Association this year. He's been the best player all year, and to average a triple-double over the course of an entire NBA season and have how many triple-doubles did he have this year? 43? 42. 42 And now has the record. And now has the record. He was the best player this year, and I understand, like you said, you could give it to LeBron every year, and yes, Harden was great, but Harden didn't do something that only one other player in the history of the league has done, and that is average a triple-double for an entire season. Russell Westbrook did that, and if you want to talk about, well, he's got to be the most valuable player, how valuable, why don't you ask the Thunder how valuable Russell Westbrook was to them this year. He was the most valuable player on their team, and he was the most valuable player in the league, and if he doesn't win the award, I think it's a travesty. I do. He's the best player in the league this year. He did something that hasn't been done since 1962. That's the first year of the Mets. That's how long ago that was. It's incredible. Today, just to cap it all off, 50 points, 16 rebounds, and a 10 assist performance and did you anyone see how he won this game today? If you haven't seen it yet, go go look at Anthony Leo's tweet that got all these retweets, which started this conversation. He had a 36 footer buzzer beater that gave the Thunder the win the win today over the Nuggets. They won 106-105 because of that shot. The loss eliminated Denver from playoff contention, so we ended Denver's season with that shot as well. I mean, it was unbelievable. And listen, Oscar when he averaged a triple double, you said it, 1961, 1962. I don't know how Russell Westbrook at this point, though, in the modern NBA, the fact that he plays game in and game out as hard as anyone, doesn't take any games off. I just think if you you look at the whole body of work and the expectations for the Thunder going in, let's rewind for a second. When Kevin Durant left, when Kevin Durant left to go to the Warriors, well, we said, well, that's it for the Thunder. They're going to stink. They may not even be a playoff team. Not only are they a playoff team, but they're in the middle of the Western Conference. This is not the East. There's no bad teams in the West. We're talking about a player that has elevated everyone around him, and if that's not an MVP, I don't know what is. I don't want to hear the metrics about Harden, and he's had a great year. I don't want to discredit James Harden, but don't tell me that James Harden's had a better year than Russell Westbrook. He hasn't, all right? James Harden has much more to work around him than Russell Westbrook does. And you mentioned the expectations this year. When Durant left, everyone thought this was going to be a wash year for the Thunder, and they had nothing to look forward to, and, and Harden and Westbrook had an unbelievable season. I think it's one of the best seasons a guard has ever had 
he was unbelievable this year. And every time you watched him, not only did he put up the points, but he has a flair for the dramatics. He's exciting. He's an electric player on the court. And he really makes everyone better around him. And yes, you can say LeBron is LeBron and, and he's you know the MVP every season, but I mean, to average a triple-double over the course of a whole season, I think it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen done on a basketball court over the course of a long season. I mean, think about the impact he had and how, how many plays he was he had to do with scoring for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's, take a, let's think about that. How many times was Russell Westbrook in the middle of a scoring play for the Oklahoma City Thunder this year? Almost every time. That's how good he was. They needed him this season to have the success they had and be a middle-of-the-pack team in a very difficult Western Conference. And I, you know, I just, I get it. Harden's had a great year. LeBron's been amazing. But when I talk about the MVP this year, I just have to give the edge to Russell Westbrook. The guy deserves it. And the fact that he didn't start the All-Star game back in February, that was a joke, too. Absolutely. And I think the biggest sign of respect you can get as an opposing player is when you're cheered on the road. And the Nuggets fans, right for them, they gave Rusbrook a standing ovation after he had the triple-double. And after the game, with their season being over, they acknowledged Russell Westbrook's historic afternoon and gave him a standing ovation. I think when you look at what Russell Westbrook's accomplished, I don't know how more people... I think mostly we all appreciate the greatness. But I've heard guys in the media, like a guy like I really respect in Colin Cowherd, trying to discredit Westbrook because, oh, you know, who cares if he gets a couple more rebounds than James Harden did? James Harden's having a better year. I mean, let's not act like what Wester, what he's doing is not unbelievable. When you get those kind of rebounds from a guard, I mean, come on. That's had, extra it, possessions. Oh, absolutely. And, and I know hard complexion to the game for the, from the Thunder. And how many times this year was Russell Westbrook in the middle of a big scoring out plunge for the Thunder or part of a big turnaround where they would run the court and, and be able to, to, to put the ball in the basket? I, it, it's not even close, I think. I think Westbrook's the MVP. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when Russell Westbrook... When you look at what he's able to do. It's, 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 you don't want to just another thing. Sorry to cut you off. He's had, I mean, you would think that whenever anyone talked about Oscar Robertson and the year he had averaging a triple-double, that if that was ever done again, it would be the most amazing thing. And here we have someone doing it, and a lot of people aren't sold that he's the most valuable player in the league. I just don't understand. What else could have Russell Westbrook done this season to be the most valuable player? Tell me. Someone tell me what he could have done. I mean, he's, he's averaged six more points. He, what is it? He's already leading the league in scoring. He's averaging 31.9 points per game. It's the highest scoring mark of his career. 10.7 rebounds per game and 10.4 assists per game. I, what more do you need this guy to do? He's by himself out there in large part. They have a brand new team. They lost Kevin Durant, which we discussed at the top of this. I just think it's a relatively so, mediocre roster. I just think when you try and discredit him because, oh, he's getting a couple more rebounds, who cares? Like Colin Cowherd has said on his show, I don't think you appreciate the greatness of Russell Westbrook. He's having a, an unbelievable year. No one has ever done this since 1962. I mean, that's how crazy it is. And then the other argument from the Westbrook detractors is, oh, well... You know, when Oscar Robertson averaged a triple-double, he didn't win the MVP that year. First off, the game has changed. And second off, I think Wilt Chamberlain averaged 50 points per game, and he didn't win the MVP that year. Bill Russell got it. So it's a totally different game. We're comparing players to different errors. But a triple-double is a triple-double. And the fact that it hasn't been done since shows you all you need to know. I think if he's not the MVP, it'd be a real shame. I I think at this point, not only has he deserved it, but it would be... It would be an absolute disaster if he doesn't get that award because that's how highly I think of him. I think he, I think he's earned it. I don't the, think there's any debate. And the discredit he gets from a lot of people about, well, who cares if he has a few more rebounds than James Harden? Well, look at it in terms of this. Look at it in terms of baseball. 
We look at RBIs. We look at batting average. Do we care who has a higher batting average than another player? Do we care who has more home runs? Do we care who has more RBIs? Yeah, it's a stat. It's part of the game. So, yeah, I think it does go into consideration considering he averaged a triple-double. So it should matter that he averaged a few more rebounds a game and a few more assists a game. It's part of the game. He did something that it has not been done in the modern basketball era. And I think that needs to be acknowledged. And for the people that just poo-poo it and say, well, James Harden should still be on the MVP, uh, should be the MVP, look at the team he's on, look at what he's accomplished. Yeah, he's had a great season. Don't get me wrong. He, he deserves consideration, but when you talk about who's been the most valuable player to their team this year, it's not even close, in my opinion. How many games would the Thunder win if Russell Westbrook was not having this kind of you season? Can't, I, I mean, how, how many games would they they're, win? They're, they're a borderline playoff team. Right now, they are 46-34. and 34. Did you have the Thunder winning 46-plus no games? Way. People had them. People didn't even have them in the playoffs this season. People wrote the Thunder off as soon as Durant left on July 4th, 2016. And you know what? I give a lot of credit to Russell Westbrook because he did everything in his power to show the kind of year he's going to have and lead the Thunder to a playoff spot and a, and a respectable playoff spot. It's not like they're an eighth seed. You know, they're 12 games over 500. They had a really good season, a 46-win year. And you mentioned it. It gets poo-pooed because James Harden's on a better team. No, 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 no. You want to talk about LeBron being the MVP? LeBron's an all-time great. LeBron could be the MVP every year, I agree with you. But LeBron didn't average a triple-double this season. And I hate to say it, you look at that impact Russell Westbrook had on the Oklahoma City Thunder, kind of just like the impact LeBron James had on the, has on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, you're right. And I think right now, the fact that the Thunder are a sixth seed, I mean, it tells you all you need to know. They don't win when he doesn't have a triple-double. And I just got a text from uh, Long Island consultant Anthony Leo about this. The Thunder have a losing record when he doesn't have a triple double. I think they're like thirty three and nine. I said this before, or something close to around thirty three and nine or thirty three and ten. I saw this earlier. When he does have a triple double, they need him to put these numbers up for them to even have a chance. That's how good he's been. And what I'm really excited about is the fact that you know what? You have the MVP conversation with the Rockets and the Thunder. They're going to meet in the first round. It's the three six seed that in that first round exciting. matchup. So listen, as we all know, the finals are going to be Golden State and Cleveland. At least in the first round of the NBA playoffs, it will be entertaining to watch Westbrook and Harden go up against each other. But let's be honest here. If Russell Westbrook is not playing at this level, the Thunder are a lottery team. That, to me, speaks more value. speaks to his value as MVP more than Harden, who's having a great year but has a lot more to work with on that Rockets team than Russell does with his Thunder team. And that's why you have to talk about it. It's the most valuable player. And people say that. And I think when you look at it, the value Russell Westbrook has on the Oklahoma City Thunder is uncomparable to any other player in the league besides LeBron James. But LeBron James didn't average a triple-double. And that's the difference. And Russell and uh, James Harden is on a better team, and he didn't average a triple-double. Let's not poo-poo and look down on the accomplishments of Russell Westbrook this year. I agree with you, Jake. I think he's the MVP. He was the best player in the league all year. And for the people that don't uh, look at it as uh, as him as the MVP, just look at the last time someone did what he did, 1962. And the Vegas odds have really changed. I think a couple weeks ago we talked about this, and Harden was the favorite, and you and I said, how? If he averages a triple-double, how do you give it to James Harden? It's changed since. Russell Westbrook is now the Vegas favorite to win that award. I think rightfully so. And you can make a case for a lot of guys. LeBron every year, we talked about it. Kawhi having a phenomenal season. I, But when it comes down to it, 
A triple-double is a triple-double. has not been done since 1962, and it's not just about the triple-double. It goes back to what we were just talking about. If Russell Westbrook was not having this kind of year, the Thunder would be a lottery team. Instead, they're the sixth seed in the Western Conference. Unbelievable. Yeah, and it's not like the triple-doubles are on a, you mentioned it, a last-place team. Him getting a triple-double is making the team, has made the team a sixth seed. He has single-handedly made this team a playoff team. So he is valuable. It's like I hate the notion that he hasn't been valuable because they're not a top three seed. They're not a very talented team. He doesn't have Kevin Durant beside him anymore. He doesn't have you know Steph Curry. He doesn't have the, some of the players that other players have around them. I mean, look at their roster. It's a mediocre, it's a below-average NBA roster. Besides the fact they have an all-world point guard who should be the league's MVP, I think he's had an unbelievable season. And I'm so happy for the Oklahoma City Thunder team, the fact that they were able to make this season worthwhile after what they had to go through in the offseason, losing Durant to a team that they lost to in the playoffs last year. I mean, that's difficult to go through. And I give a lot of credit to Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder for making this season worthwhile for their fans. It really was an unbelievable season for them, considering all things considered. And they had something to rally around. That's a great point by you, Dan. I mean, the thought with Thunder fans and their mindset on the year was so depressing going into the year. They lose arguably a top three player in the league to a team that they just blew a 3-1 lead against in that same postseason. And all of a sudden, Russell Westbrook has a year of his life. Gives him hope. Gives him a guy that they can still count on, still believe in. He signed the extension at the beginning of the season, and he's gone out there, and he's proved that, you know what? Russell Westbrook is not the problem. He's a phenomenal player, and I give him a lot of credit for not just tanking it, mailing it in, taking his money, and having an okay year. He plays hard every single night, plays in every game. And he wants to win. And when you average a triple-double and you're not the MVP, I don't know. I just think when it comes down to it, we've said it all, he better win that award. And it really felt like when Durant left Oklahoma City, there was kind of that gloomy feeling that was even over the Cleveland Cavaliers when they lost LeBron and look at the year they had following and it kind of felt that same type of feeling like oh here we go the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to head towards a really tough season this year and we all thought that but you know Russell Wilson he played hard every night and he he deserves to be the MVP. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback as well. I mean, Russell Westbrook, excuse me. He, <laughs> he, he deserves to be the MVP. I, I, hope he wins. I hope he wins it. No, I do, too. I'm a big fan of him, and here's the stat on Russell Westbrook. He's played in all 80 games of the team's 80 games so far. Still got two games remaining. But we do know that it will be Westbrook and Harden in round one How many minutes does he of the playoffs. Tonight? Probably 30-plus. It has to be. Easily. 35-plus. So you talk about a guy averaging a triple-double. He's playing 30-plus minutes a night. Probably thir- easily 35-plus minutes a night. We can look that up for you in the break. But the point being, he plays every night, plays hard every night. And without him, we're talking about a a team that's probably picking in the lottery, all things considered. But that's our opinion on Russell Westbrook. We both agree he should be the MVP. 34.8 minutes a game. So playing, like we said, 30-plus minutes, almost 35 minutes per game. And played in every game. That guy's tired. (laughs) He's got to be tired after every game. Is there a, a better athlete than Russell Westbrook? I know we always talk about LeBron, but you know what? Russell Westbrook is just a pure athlete. I mean, he's one of those guys. Same with LeBron. They'd be good at any sport they played. Russell Westbrook would be a great any name of position in football. Same with LeBron. We always talked about LeBron as a receiver or a tight end. Westbrook would be a great athlete in any sport you put him in. He's just that type of type that type of uh, you know physically. He's just that type of guy. He's gifted. And why don't we talk about this in a league? And really, the last six weeks we're talking about players resting and not playing. 
Russell Westbrook averaging just under 35 minutes and has played in every game of the season. So why don't we talk about that for a second? The fact that, you know, he's not taking any rest. He knows his team needs him night in and night out, and he comes out and performs. We need him. 607-274-1842. We're open up the phone lines here. Weigh in. Who's the MVP of the league? You agree with us that it is Russell Westbrook? Or do you think James Harden or somebody else should get that award? When we come back, your phone calls coming up right here on the Asthma Butik Show. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. Back here on the Asman and Budick Show, Jake Chernock Engineering. You know the same song will always be playing. And I want always. to point out that if you were listening on radio, which of course you are, you heard in that previous break a promo talking about our trip to the Super Bowl, which was in late January, early February. So mind it you, still lives, baby. it is still being played on the VIC radio airwaves, and it's April 9th. And while we're talking about VIC radio, I do want to give a huge congratulations to VIC radio on another successful 50-hour marathon. For those who are unaware, four DJs stayed up for 50 hours raising money for a great cause, a local Ithaca, New York charity. And they were successful. They raised more than $2,500. So congratulations to everyone involved on VIC Radio, including longtime friend of the Asthma Butik Show, VIC Station Manager, Kenry Colbert. So it was great to have uh, a very successful turnout for 50 Hour. They had some great interviews. The mayor of Ithaca was on with them. Samantha Myrick I saw. So great it's job. Always, 50 Hour is always a great, a great weekend and another great job done by VIC Radio. Simulcast on WICB and ICTV as well. So really great job by VIC Radio. We wish them well. Another 50 hours in the books and another bleh, another 50 minutes or so of sports talk coming up. 607-274-1842 is the number to call. And I think we have a phone call on the line. It is indeed Jackson in Ithaca, New York. Jackson, get us started here. What's going on? What's up, fellas? How are you? Doing great, Jackson. What's uh, what's on your mind on this uh, 11.08 in the evening? 11.08 in the evening, a couple hours removed from perhaps. I know you guys aren't big you know, golf packs the way a lot of other No, people. no, we are. Golf's we great. Are golf is golf great. Guys. Golf is great. We opened the show talking about Masters, and it led to us making fun of Chernock. But we are golf guys. We love golf. You're not golf guys. You're not golf guys. You're not golf guys. There's nothing more I like to do on a Sunday afternoon than sit back with a cold one and watch a little golf. Watch a little. I, I love you. watching. You know what I love watching the most? I love watching them take their sweet. You know what time? Walk into the next hole. Let's go to commercial break. A little smooth Jim Nance coming in. It's ridiculous. It is. It's. We need more Jimmy Roberts out there. I. We do need more Jimmy. We Roberts. We love Jimmy Roberts. I. I you actually was just watching a great Jimmy Roberts. Here's what I'll say. I, I will say that I'm going to come to your defense on this, Chernock, because with golf, what happens is a lot of times there are actually a lot of people don't know this. But everything's happening at once, so you really have so much to cut. To. Well, that's the so problem. Of te- yes. Well, no, I mean, I, I think it is, but it isn't. At the same time, I mean, you know, look, how many times in golf do you hear announcers say, okay, a moment ago, let's take a look at what happened? So, I mean, I don't think something's permanently removed if you didn't see it live. I mean, it's still going to be there, and they're still going to show you, and they still have replays. So I don't, I don't necessarily think – now, you're right, Dan, in the sense that, you know, obviously there's nothing like seeing it live. But I think that, you know, to a degree, at least they're showing you it, which is, you know. Well, of course, they're they're broadcasting the tournament. And and, and, you know what? I don't hate golf 
you know, growing up, my dad's not a big golf guy, so I never really got into golf. <laughs> so for me, watching golf, I'm not mm. just – I can't – it's tough for me to sit back and watch no, I get 18 it. holes. I get but it. I will say when it gets dramatic and we had, yeah. you know, Garcia and and Rose today, I mean, that's great to watch. If you just love competitiveness and you love sports and you love, uh, you know, championship play, that that's what you breathe for. That's what you live for. Uh, so, 18th hole and then the playoff. I mean, it was it was great to watch. So b- before I get to my point on the Masters, I just thought you guys might like to know this. Uh, I was speaking with uh, somebody before, and I was curious to know, because they made the claim that you know golf is more popular than hockey in this country. And little did I know, they're right. The, the playoffs last year for the Stanley Cup, and granted, it, was it the best? No. But still, you know, 4 million people watching versus 14 million watching the Masters last year. So I mean that I mean I, I I was kind of just floored by that because I did not expect golf to come out of nowhere and you know overtake what a lot of people rave about is the best playoffs on the face of the earth. So well, I, I you know what it is though, Jackson, you'd have to see what the ratings are for a normal golf tournament. They're not something yeah. that's the Masters, that's the biggest tournament in that sport. If it's Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals going up against the Masters, I'd be curious to see what those ratings are. I think you're talking about golf, which is you know a tournament that happens maybe once every weekend, but no one really cares. If you're not a diehard golf fan, you're not really locked in until Saturday or Sunday of a major. You're talking about a playoff game. You know, If you're a casual hockey fan, you tune in for the playoffs, maybe you're all watching games one, games two, because it's still playoff hockey. It's a little bit different, so I'm not that surprised mm-hmm. that the Masters does that much better than the NHL playoffs would do, but I'm curious what the ratings for a Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final would do going up against the Masters. Kind of put that in perspective. And That'd I, be a good comparison. And I, will we can look also, that up. I will also say, talking about the Masters and the ratings, I mean, Jim Nance preview, uh, promos the Masters in October during the NFL season in November starting that early. So the, the Masters gets, and CBS gives it all the hype well, to get as many viewers as they can. And I'm not saying it's not going to get viewers, but it's getting right. double or triple the amount of viewers, I think, than a normal golf tournament would on any other weekend. Well, I'll tell right. you. Well, Jackson, I'll tell you this much. Part of my job last year, actually working with the USGA, was to track right the ratings by final rounds and, and by rounds over the over the four uh-huh. major tournaments and then also the Players' Championship because it's basically golf's fifth major. And the Masters totally blows away. By it's how not much? even do close. You, you it's know? not even close. Can you give us a ballpark? It's not close. It's not I close, think the I Masters does, it might do almost double. I can't. Yeah, 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 then the next my, closest major? Yes. So I think see, that doesn't do, surprise me. We care more about the did, Masters yes, than any what, other major. What, what, you know, what did Carton tell you guys? when he, I, I mean, he was kind of facetious about it, but to a degree. I mean, what did he say? Like, nobody, which isn't entirely true, but he kind of you know, downplayed the idea of hockey. Right, but you know what? You don't hear golf being talked about on the radio either, for that matter. You're talking about the main things. I'll tell you this. Tomorrow, it probably will be the lead. Because because it's the Masters. And it was also a great tournament. I mean, this was also a phenomenal tournament. The golf was great. The atmosphere was great. Everything was great about this tournament, so there's going to be a lot of conversation but about it, especially because the, because the names were good. But, but, but also, know? I think regardless of who won today, it was going to be talked about as a main Agreed. story tomorrow. It's the, it's the Masters. That's Agreed. the thing. It's, it's the biggest golf tournament of the year. Right. Well, that's why it will be talked about this one day, and then you kind of move on until you get to the next major. Like No one in sports talk radio When's is breaking down a regular next season golf tournament. The next major is in uh, mid-June. So it's US in mid-June. So i got to admit, until, until... Joe mid- Buck on the call. Friend Joe of the Buck show. on the call. So, yeah. so until, but, but seriously, until mid-June, I'm probably not even going to think about golf. So no, no, no. I get what you're saying on a consistent basis, day to day. Obviously, that's different. But I mean, 
Golf's a lot like the Olympics. We talk about it when it happens. You well, know, when a big yeah. when a big thing happens in like the Masters, we cover it. When a big thing happens in the Olympics every two or four yeah. years, we talk about it. I, I it's, it's I don't want to say it's a niche sport because it's bigger than that. But if it's not a major but, tournament, us as casual sport fans are not going to be locked in. Someone like Jake, who is a huge golf fan, he's going to be watching no matter what. So there's different fandom levels of golf fans. We talk about the Masters because it's a tradition unlike any other, and it's the biggest event in that sport. I think there's also something that's very going on too, like you said. Well, there's also something very special about the Masters. Like I, I, I don't know if whether it's the mystique of Augusta, the green jackets. What if the it's jackets the start were of brown? The spring. Would we care if the jackets were brown? Serious well, see, question. Like, okay, but see here. Here's the thing. Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, all those guys. Yeah, and like times. Jimmy well, like, Roberts interviewing them. Well, <laughs> well, here's the thing, Jake. Like to you, right? You, you're looking at the grass. You're like, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of green grass. Like to a golf fan, Augusta National is like sacred ground. It's Which like, I get, I get it's that. Holy. But it's they, holy, but they're only there once a year. But that's when part are you going to play Augusta? I, mean, no, I will probably never play Augusta in my life. I will probably never go to it. Ne- I, I probably will never go. Why not? Unless I win tickets or something like that, or I no, am so, successful so enough then, in this life saying, to make it to Augusta and National. I, and I get, and Jackson, thanks so much for the call. We appreciate it. I get the fact that the Masters is a huge tradition. You talk about player and Palmer and, and Nicholas and all the greats and Tiger, all, all the greats, and it's, it's such a great tournament. And like you said, a tradition unlike any other. But Hello, out, friends. outside of that and the U.S. Open, I guess, I'm just not – Engaged in golf, which I get. I, I, honestly, I think the PGA Championship is just kind of lame. Like, I, I just don't think there's very much appealing about. It. Like, the Claret Jug is cool because it's so old, and it's when it's played at San Andrews, it's just so awesome. It's the home of golf, you know. And the U.S. Open, I also think, is cool because it's something very unique. You know, well, I it's, also, it, it, it's a very unique test. The, the U.S. Open is notoriously known as the toughest test in golf. Can I ask you something? It's going to be grueling Can every you, year. Let me just ask you something about the U.S. Open. Is there anything about the, does the U.S. Open not hold as much as as much appeal because it's in a different place? I don't know if it doesn't does that hold have as much appeal because the Masters obviously you mentioned how great Augusta is, but the U.S. Open it moves around, is moving and grooving. Well, that's also because it's the U.S. Open, right? If the U.S. Open, if the United States Open was played in the same place every year, it wouldn't be as fun. No, you know I, what but I mean? I'm saying, does that change the way you look at it as far as I don't a, a course think so. or, I, or a tournament is concerned? I don't think so. I think there's just something. So magical about Augusta, you know. There is just something so, and and the most amazing part about Augusta, and like it, people say this on on Twitter, and it's really true. Other than Amen Corner, fifteen and sixteen for the atmosphere, and maybe one or two other holes. Like, there's nothing unique, uniquely different about Augusta than any other golf club but, in in the world. But see, the thing is, but for, see, that's what's part of so remarkable about it. You know. Well, you mentioned it's not different than any other golf course. What is it about the holes that make it different? Because for me, watching, it's a golf course. I mean, I, I you know, the grass I, is green, and, and guys are swinging at white balls. The grass is very green. That did not come it's out very right. Pretty. <laughs> I, the, the grass is very green. The flowers. It's just the whole environment. It's just in between. It's just. It's just everything. And Jim Nance's voice. It Jim Nance's voice. And there, I, I really former think Westport there was a Connecticut native Jim Nance. Former Westport Connecticut native. We Jim learned Nance. today that he was in California. Yes. Now we yes, believe. Yes, he moved. Um, but uh, yeah, it just. 
it's a Magnolia Lane. You know, it's driving into Augusta. It's honestly, it's exclusivity of it. All right, you know, so there are three hundred members, and you you have to get invited. You can't like, there's no, you can't apply to join Augusta National. They have to invite you. And honestly, I was looking it up. The member fees are honestly not even that absurd. It's just there's an exclusivity about because it. there's no because who's turning down Augusta? But you know, it's so like, exclusive that not. It's so exclusive that like I mean look no no like not wealthy person doesn't belong you know what i mean like it's it's all very wealthy people obviously and it's the most elite of the elite but it's also they're not there because because they can pay a lot of money in, in fees. What's going on back there? Hey, you having some uh, hustle and bustle over One of the greatest APs we've ever had on this program. <laughs> He's also a great teleprompter operator. Great prompter operator struggling with the phone calls in the back. I want to get your take on this, though, as we spent a lot of time just talking about Augusta. We opened the show talking about Sergio you know, actually winning. I love winning. The, the amount of golf. No one ever t- say that we don't talk about golf on the show. We cover the big events. We we're, cover it. We're, we're, we're Talking Masters, you're t- you were rooting. We were watching that. We yes. were watching this with you yes. today at the apartment. Yes. You were actively rooting against Sergio yes. Garcia. Yes. Why? I find Sergio Garcia to just be unlikable in every way. Just everything about him is unredeeming. I th- right, got he's got some. He's big crybaby, big whiner. Always complains about how it's not fair or how it's always rigged against him. You know, I mean, look, the guy has been, he was a prodigy, and he never won anything until today. I mean, that, I mean that's the truth of the matter. So, Sergio Garcia, look, I'm very, it was a cool scene to see him win, and it was very cool. It was a cool storyline that he won, and that he finally got to win a major, and it was time. And look, he, he deserved to win today. I mean, the guy played awesome golf, and even though I do not like him, I can appreciate how, how well he played. But at the same time, I just I just don't like the guy. I was I was rooting hard for Justin Rose. I, I really was. I find him very likable. By the way, how how awesome was Matt Kuchar's hole in one today at sixteen? Did you guys see that? Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it's cool. He makes a home one. Everybody goes berserk. I'd rather you know? watch a guy hit a walk off home run in the ninth inning. Ah, uh, hole in one is so cool. But walk off home run in the ninth inning, everybody can do that. Hole I, in I, one I, is I so know like, everybody can do that. But like, but like anyone no, who's hard I, I, I know home what run. you mean. I know what you, you know, mean. You know, like walk off home but, runs happen all the but, time. I know, but like, he didn't win the Masters. Yeah, that's, of it. that's what I was about to say. Is he had a hole in one? It was great, but he didn't win. I'll tell you what. Hole in one. If Justin Rose, if Justin Rose hit a hole in one in the playoff to win, like we joked around before it happened. Before we, the playoff hole started, that would be incredible. That w- I'd watch golf forever from that point on. You'd have me, you'd have me sold. <laughs> a hole one is cool, but you know it was cool. It was a great okay, shot. It's it was not, a great here, shot. Well, here's the thing. I, I think you guys might not understand the hole in one thing because you don't play. Honestly, have like, you ever hit what, a hole in one? I have never hit a hole in one. Will I, you? I probably will never have a hole in one my entire life. I've, I've been not with close. that attitude. I, I've been close. I've hit the flag. But I have never actually no, had a hole-in-one. No, it is cool, and it was a great moment. And when was the last time someone hit a hole-in-one at the Masters? Last year. Last year, there were, I think there were like four or five of them in the really? final round of the Masters. Yeah. Wow. What are the on odds the, on that? On that one hole. The same on that hole? hole? Is it a part yes, three? Because, it has to be. Well, it's part three, and also because of the way that they put that hole. The, the Augusta is a place where tradition matters more than anything else. The, holes, tradition, don't like the any holes are the in the same spot on every single Sunday, every single year. Like when Tiger hold that ridiculous chip shot, what, like 10, 15 years ago from the side of the green, the hole was in the exact same spot. And the way that the green is sloped, all the guys hit their approach shot out to the right, and it funnels down, and that's what happened. Also, I, I, I got to talk to Ben Carlton now before we get to our next call. He's our assistant producer. He puts up a Twitter poll. What's more exciting, a hole-in-one or a walk-off home run? Obviously, more people are going to put a hole-in-one. Of course. We need the context here. 
You got to. Right. There's no context to this. So Chernock's going to win this poll. I Holman think, won. It's not I, even I think close. By default. It's not even close. This is this is rigged. Not it's even rigged. close. No, but it, it, okay. Yes, not Holman even close. Won is more I'm sorry. Exciting, but not I'm, even I'm close. talking about it as like. Yeah, it was cool, but I'm not jumping out of my seat for it. If I, I'm you, just, I'm telling. If I ever hit a hole in one, okay. I'm just kidding with you, Ben. You can leave the. Pole. If I ever <laughs> hit a hole in one, I think I'll walk. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm a big pole guy. If you hit a hole in one, I probably so walk off the course the and then. You love the polls. You I love the them polls. every night in November. I love the polls. Uh, you know, I just... Uh, Didn't work oh, out how you wanted, but you're November, a big November. Love the polls. But anyway, so... What was I saying? Oh, if I ever, if I ever hit a hole-in-one, I might walk off the golf course and never play again. Well, we All hope right. that happens. Well, you know what? I, I'm happy you enjoyed the Masters. That, I mean, that is the peak. That is the peak. The Masters was great. And you know what? You guys are not golf guys. And you know what? I'm just... I just want to make that final point. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budic Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budic Show.